Thank you. As, uh, as Jonathan said, Gabe is uh, up in Estes Park speaking at a, at a women's conference this weekend. So um, she's doing a great job up there from what I hear already, um, from her mostly. But <laughs> a couple weeks, um, you guys will get the blessing of actually being able to, to hear her teach here. So look forward to that. Um, I want to start out before I actually get into the message. I want to start out by wishing a happy birthday to the church. Happy birthday to the church. Tomorrow is a holiday known as Pentecost. Okay, so that was underwhelming, I, I know, because you guys, so, some people don't understand that. Tomorrow is actually when we, when we, as a Christian church, we celebrate Pentecost. And that is, as it's described in, in the book of Acts, it is the, the, the day or the moment that the, the Spirit came upon the disciples of Jesus. And so many people credit that if we had to go back and find a time when the Christian church started, that would be the time. Because the infilling of the Holy Spirit is what allows us to be the church. It's what allows us to be the body. It's what allows us to seek God's heart and to have his wisdom and have communion with him. And it accomplished so much more, but that was the beginning of us as the body of Christ as the church. And so that's why Pentecost and some churches really celebrate and make a big deal of it. But I wanted to let you guys know that that's what it's about because you may be tomorrow just hear something at random about Pentecost. And I want you all to understand that that is an actual, uh, it's an important thing. It's a milestone event in the history of, of Christianity is when we receive the Holy Spirit. And so that's what it's about. I'm not going to do a teaching on that. There'll be another time later where we'll do that. Um, because I have a nice, uh, lightweight, fluff subject that we're going to talk about again this week. So if you've been listening the last couple weeks, um, where we talked about anger and murder and lust and adultery, this week we get to follow it up with the message on divorce. Divorce is one of those things that's incredibly polarizing. It's incredibly polarizing. It seems to be that many people will look at murder and they'll look at adultery and lust and anger and those things that go along with it and they don't have a hard time making that connection that, okay, those things can be redeemed. Those things, that's what Jesus gave himself for is to help us overcome those things. And so somebody who's caught in that trap can be redeemed. And yet when we come to the very next phrase, the very next teaching of Jesus and his Sermon on the Mount, people have a hard time with that. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. So last week, lust and adultery, before that, anger and murder, and really what Jesus was teaching in those messages. Now again, for those of you who may not have heard, this is all from the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus teaching and actually addressing disciples and a collection of people, but mostly his disciples, many of which who were Jews, and he's trying to, to put this in a context that they'll understand and yet teach them about the law. So he's teaching us that the letter of the law does not fully address the issues of the heart. The letter of the law doesn't address the battle between flesh and spirit. And so he's going on in this message, this Sermon on the Mount, if you will, and he's explaining to us. Now, in his own words, he says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. In other words, I've come to fill in the blanks. 
I've come to show you application and what this really means to you. Because so many times, and this still happens today, when you write a law, the moment you put a law down, okay, before the ink is dry, somebody's looking for loopholes, right? Somebody's looking for loopholes in the law, and there's always loopholes in the law. And there's technicalities, and there's interpretations. And so this is what Jesus is doing here. He's teaching us about that. So this week, again, divorce and remarriage. That's what we're going to talk about. Why are people so polarized? It's just easy. As I said, it's easy to apply grace to those other situations. But when it comes to divorce and remarriage, you seem to have two camps. You have the ones who say, it's okay in certain situations. The Bible says in some places that it's okay in these situations and actually even gives us examples. And then you have the other camp who says, it's never okay for any reason whatsoever. And then there's probably a third camp, some people in between, or people who don't really understand. But whether you're camp okay if, or you're camp never okay, if that's where you are in one of those camps, you're missing the point. You're missing the point of the entire thing if you find yourself in one of those polarized, polarized camps. Because what we see, Jesus is teaching us that the letter of the law does not fully address what we need to know. And it certainly doesn't bring life to any situation. Typically, the letter of the law is a last resort to keep us from death. But in itself, the law really doesn't bring life. So what I want to tell you before we go on is I want to give a little full disclosure here. This was probably, well, probably, this was the most difficult message that I've written since I've been doing this. And the reason it was difficult is, number one, is because it is so polarizing. But number two, because I myself am divorced and remarried. And so there are people who will hear that And they'll immediately go, how can you be a pastor if you're divorced and remarried? Because the Bible says, and then there are some people who understand what the Bible's really teaching, what Jesus himself is really teaching. And so, but in the interest of full disclosure, I want to tell you that that's where I'm coming from. My heart wanted desperately for my study on this to reveal that Jesus says, it's okay. I came to die for you too. And you can be redeemed, and you will be, and you are being redeemed through my blood. I wanted desperately for my study to say that. But I also knew that the Lord called me to be honest and study the word and teach the word. I knew that I would be held accountable for what I said if it didn't line up with the teachings of God. And not even just held accountable by you but be held accountable to God himself. And I refuse to let that be the case. So I studied, and I studied, and I prayed, and I wrote, and I rewrote. And it came down to a couple different pathways that I could have talked about, and I just gave it to God. I said, where do you want me to go? And so the message that I'm about to give you (coughs) is a result of what the Lord laid on my heart and what I believe Scripture backs up. But I want to tell you, Study this yourself. Study it yourself. Don't take my word for it. And that goes for anything that I teach you. 
Don't take my word for it. We have the journals out there. For those of you who don't know, we have the journals instead of bulletins because I want you to write down things that mean something to you, not just fill in the blanks of what I say or anything. So take some notes. Write down the scriptures. Listen to the podcast again if you need to. But I want you to study it for yourself because I want you to be convicted in your heart of the word, not just because I say it, but because our Lord says it. So, here we go. Let's jump into it. Matthew 5, 31 and 32. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Okay, again, remember, whenever it's all caps like that, it's referring back to Old Testament, Old Testament law or Old Testament quotes. And so it was said, and that's back in Deuteronomy where it was said that. It was actually addressed in several places. But why was it addressed at all in the first place? Because you would think if it covered it very clearly back in the Torah, back in the Old Testament law, it said, thou shalt not... Anytime it says that, or whoever does this should do that, it's pretty straightforward. Seems pretty straightforward, right? But in order to understand this, we need to look at a couple things first. First of all, we need to look at the context that the original law was written in. We also need to know that it's a continuation of thoughts. So when Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's giving us all this fantastic wisdom... It's not like Jesus is standing up there saying, always return your library books on time. And oh yeah, be sure and change the oil in your car on time. And whenever possible, treat each other right. These aren't just random thoughts that are just sparking in his head and he's, and he's throwing out these random thoughts. This is a continuation of a teaching. It's a point. Like any sermon, he's got a point that he's trying to get across. And so in order to fully understand the Sermon on the Mount, you need to understand the point that he's trying to make. And by doing so, you can find the common thread that weaves through this whole thing. It's not a collection of random thoughts. It's not a collection of random commandments. This isn't a question and answer session where he's just uh, dodging bullets. There's a point to this, and there's a reason he's doing it. It's not by accident. He wants to teach us that the battle for our soul is against the devil, and it takes place in our hearts and minds. The battle for our soul doesn't take place in a courtroom. It takes place in your hearts and minds. And if you don't have an understanding and you're just gripping onto the laws, this is my defense, you're going to miss it every time. And so this is where we are. This time, the devil's attacking the marriage covenant marriage covenant itself, and by extension, God's covenant with us. So we have a covenant under attack here. But thankfully, Jesus gives us the path to victory. There is a path, an easy path, not an easy path, a straightforward path to victory. And Jesus gives us that by applying grace and redemption to the law. Jesus takes the law and doesn't abolish it and doesn't change it, doesn't change the wording, but he applies grace and opportunity for redemption to the law. And that's where we find ourselves. 
So first, let's back up the situation in the Old Testament where this was written to begin with. Okay, so the Ten Commandments had been given to Moses, and then an entire litany of thou shalts and thou shalt nots and just different laws that were given to Moses at this time. And this is one of those. And so bear with me. There's a lot of scripture in this one, but I feel, I feel like it's important in order to, to explain fully what's going on. So here we are. This is Deuteronomy 24, 1-4. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house, and she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife, since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Um, what? <laughs> Crystal clear, right? Everybody got it? What, what is that trying to say? Let me break it down for you. Follow me on this, okay? Follow me. And I'm not going to go verse by verse. Here's what it's saying. First of all, a married man, he takes a wife. He finds some indecency in her, some indecency. I'll talk about that in a minute. He legally divorces her, sends her away. She marries another man. The second man also finds something indecent in her and sends her away or dies and sends her away. The first husband is not allowed to remarry her. Make sense? Those are the bullet points of what's going on here. Now let me explain to you what some of these things mean. First of all, some indecency. Several different translations talk about it differently. Again, the reason I like the New American Standard is it, it, I feel it very closely translates the words. And words are very important sometimes, most times. Some indecency, though, is very vague. I want you to know that some indecency, in this case, does not include adultery. Because adultery was already addressed in the Ten Commandments. What was the penalty for adultery? Death, simply. So this isn't talking about adultery. If you were caught in adultery, you would just be killed, not sent away. So this is some indecency. Uh, um, Jewish customs. Let me explain to you some Jewish customs on divorce. To this day, back then, historically, and to this day, Jewish custom on divorce is lax, for lack of a better word. Okay? You could get divorced for almost any reason. Now remember, Jesus is trying to shift a mindset here. The people he's been speaking to here, the the people that are hearing the Sermon on the Mount, his audience, for the most part, they're Jews, and they were steeped in this tradition. Many of them were doing these very things that we're talking about. And so he's trying to come against that tradition those beliefs that were ingrained in them and explain really what the meaning of it is. And so that's where we are. The word divorce really just means to send away. In fact, some translations just say to send her away, not divorce her. 
And that's important. You'll hear that later. But under Jewish law, a man can divorce a woman for any reason or no reason. Any reason or no reason is just fine as far as Jewish law is concerned. In fact, the Talmud, the Talmud is a, basically a book of how to interpret Jewish law, right? Specifically says this, that a man can divorce a woman simply because she's obnoxious or she spoiled his dinner or because he finds another woman more attractive. And the woman's consent for divorce is not an issue. The man totally gets to decide any reason or no reason. And he can just do it. The second part, certificate of divorce. To issue a certificate of divorce by implication means I've given you this. You are now free to remarry. Because there are plenty of women who are just being kicked out of the house, wandering the streets, unmarried, single. Well, technically they were still married, but not divorced. Not able to take another husband. Issuing a certificate of divorce implied that there was permission to remarry now that you had this certificate. Now, this isn't endorsing divorce. Okay? Even back then when the Lord gave Moses these commandments, these, these laws, he wasn't endorsing divorce, saying this is absolutely fine, go do it. What he was doing was essentially allowing for ingrained cultural practices. They had already been doing this for generations, done it over and over again. And what we find, actually an explanation of this in Matthew 19. Now this is, this is the Apostle Matthew writing this, but it's, it's Jesus' words. Now to set the scene, the Pharisees are actually trying to trap Jesus by asking him questions, right? And they're trying to trap him into saying something that's wrong or, or against the law. So this is Matthew 19.8. I think we have that on the screen. Oops. Also, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, because of your hardness of heart... Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it has not been this way. Jesus is saying that was a concession to the fact that your hearts were hard. And you're doing it anyway. So we're trying to put some parameters on this. Some protection for the women, to be honest with you. When a woman was kicked out of the house or sent away for any of these capricious reasons, she had no protection. She had no income. She had no place to go. She couldn't own property. It was very unseemly to hold a job. They were reliant on their husbands for income, for protection, everything else. So they ended up being beggars or prostitutes. Or maybe they had a family member who could take them in, but that wasn't always the case either. So this is offering some protection for the women who had little or no opportunity for outside support, saying, we'll issue a certificate so that you can go and remarry and then have some protection and have a, have a family unit again. More importantly, more importantly than protection for the woman, marriage between man and woman was supposed to be a covenant. God designed it that way. He designed it not as a contract, which we hear all the time, a marriage contract. But a contract says, if you don't do your part, I don't have to do my part. And if you don't do your part, then I win, and I get some kind of recompense for that. But basically, it lets me out of my obligation. The covenant doesn't say that. A covenant says, I will do my part regardless of whether you do yours or not. This is the covenant that I'm making with you. And so, the marriage covenant... 
The marriage covenant is supposed to be a type and a shadow, and a type and a shadow means an example, an illustration, okay? Sometimes a prophetic vision of what our relationship with God is supposed to look like. God gave us the marriage covenant. He gave Adam, Eve, to provide companionship, to provide love and support. And on and on and on, the marriage covenant is used as an example of what our relationship with the Lord is supposed to look like. And so that's under attack right here also. There are all sorts of covenants. It starts out with Genesis with Adam and Eve. Um, there's, there's the covenant with Noah. There's covenant with Abraham. There are all sorts of different covenants that the Lord makes with his people. But they all involve the Lord saying, I've made this covenant with you. This is my word. And it's not to be broken. But most importantly, more importantly than any of those covenants, is the new covenant. The new covenant that we now get to live under. And way back in the book of Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet, he actually prophesied about the new covenant. And we have that on screen too. Jeremiah 31. This is, I think, verse 31 to 33. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord. This is the Lord himself speaking. When I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart. I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's the new covenant. But the enemy was already trying to corrupt this. The enemy was already trying to get in there and corrupt this covenant, this example of what a covenant relationship was, the covenant of marriage. And I'm not going to put this up on the screen, but I'm going to read it. This is out of Malachi, Malachi chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. This is another thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards your offering or accepts it with favor from, you, from your hand. Yet you say, for what reason? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom you have dealt treacherously, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. And then he goes on, and some of you may have heard this one. This is, again, in Malachi. It's chapter 2, 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Lord expressly says, I hate divorce. He says, you have dealt treacherously with the, wives of your, with the wife of your youth. You have been treacherous. I hate divorce. And yet it's happening over and over again. And it's happening for all kinds of reasons or it's happening for no reason. This is the very situation that Jesus is trying to address here. He's trying to break through that mindset. So again, Matthew 5, 31, 32. We can put that back up there. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. 
And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So unchastity, that word unchastity is important. Okay? It can translate as, mar- as marital unfaithfulness. Specifically, it does. But the root word of that is actually porneus. Porneus, which is actually the root for pornography. But it translates, the word porneus translates roughly again as idolatry. As idolatry. As in to sell off your purity or your chastity in exchange for idols. This is where that teaching comes from. This is what was going on. Now, Jesus is not saying that adultery is the only valid reason for divorce. He's not saying that it's a good reason for divorce. So if that's the case, what is then the point of this teaching? Why is he, why is he teaching this? It's because the Jews had made a habit. Made a habit, made a lifestyle, made a cultural choice of trampling God's covenant with them. They had done it time and time again in the context of marriage and out of the context of marriage. This was something that they did on a regular basis. The law that they spent their lives living under was not bringing them life. It was not keeping them in check. It was actually bringing death to them. The law was bringing death, and they needed so much more than that. Jesus here is not saying it's okay to divorce. What he's saying is don't break covenant with your God or with your spouse. That's what he's saying. And then in essence, he's going on saying, but if you've committed adultery, you already have. If you've committed adultery, you've already broken covenant. Fortunately for us, Jesus shed his blood to reconcile and redeem us, no matter what we have done. His blood was shed to reconcile and redeem. So if marriage is supposed to to mirror our relationship with the Lord, it's supposed to be a type and a shadow of our relationship with the Lord, doesn't it make sense that grace and redemption would be the point of the whole thing? Doesn't it make sense? That's what he sent Jesus for, to teach us grace, to give us opportunity for redemption. So if that is the point of him sending Jesus to us, Wouldn't it make sense that that's the point of this whole thing? Let me ask you a question. Could a murderer be redeemed and called by God to a higher purpose? Could an adulterer be redeemed and called by God to a higher purpose? A thief. Where do we draw the line? Is there anybody? How about a divorced person? Could someone who is divorced still have a calling on their life by God, a higher purpose that God will redeem? Could that be the case? There are many people who would say no. But I don't believe that's what what he's trying to teach us here. In fact, Paul reminds us in Romans, uh, we've got that, Romans 11, 27, 29 writes this. This is Paul writing. This is my covenant with them. When I take away their sins, again referring back to Old Testament, from the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. He's talking about Gentiles here. But from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. I want you to hear that. The gifts and the calling of God 
are irrevocable. If you are from, if your marriage has been broken and you've been through a divorce, the calling that God has on your life is still the calling that God has on your life. The enemy has tried to steal it. Jesus is going to redeem it. And that is still your calling. There's no such thing as a divorced person or somebody who's been to prison for murder or a thief. Anybody who repents and turns away from those former ways, there's nobody who cannot be redeemed. And your calling is still your calling. And your calling will always be your calling. Don't let anybody tell you you're broken and now you just need to mail it in because God can't use you anymore. God uses broken people all the time. Hallelujah for that. God himself, a little bit later, well, in a different book, Jeremiah 3.1. Jeremiah, uh, uh, God says this to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, they say, if a man put away his wife and she go from him and become another man's, shall she return to her again? Now, he's speaking metaphorically here of Israel and Judah. Shall not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot. Again, Israel and Judah, he's looking him square in the eye. You have played the harlot with many lovers. Yet return again to me, says the Lord. The Lord says, you have played the harlot with many lovers, but come home. My arms are open. Because that's the covenant that he made with them. Redemption. Redemption despite their sin and open harlotry again and again and again. Marriage between a man and a woman is supposed to be an expression of God's unconditional love for us. It's a gift from God. It's a covenant between two people who God placed together intentionally. It's illustration of our relationship with our Father. But the devil wants to steal and kill and destroy. And he wants to lie to you and those around you and make you think that you are no longer any good. He wants to take you out of the game. God can't use me. All those great plans that God had for me, well, now that I'm going through this divorce or I've been divorced, no longer. I guess I have to wait and see what comes next in my life. God had a plan for you from before you were born. And it grieves his heart if the marriage that he put together has failed, but that has nothing to do with his calling on your life. Because God is a God of redemption. Amen. Worship team, you guys can go ahead and, and start coming up. So here's what I want you to consider. How should we treat somebody who's been through a divorce? How should we treat them? How should we talk to them? How should we consider their role in the church? How should we consider their calling to ministry or their calling in their workplace or wherever they are? Should we just put a scarlet D on their chest and let them go on their way? Does it matter even what the circumstances are? Does it matter if they did it on purpose or who chose what? Or whose fault it was? Who was the one that initiated it? Was it because of this reason or that reason? Was it adultery? Was it we just couldn't get along? Whatever it is. Church, if you're still in that place where you're like, okay, well, it matters how it happened. 
then you're still missing the point. Yes, it grieves God's heart. Yes, that was not his plan. Yes, the enemy has done a work and he has managed victory in that. But he is not going to steal your redemption. He is not going to steal the work that Jesus did on the cross for you to redeem you forever to the Father, regardless of what your past is and your background is. God can and will use you for great things no matter where you are. I believe that the only scarlet that God sees when he looks at us is the blood of Jesus that covers us and makes us new. God doesn't see a divorced person when he looks at us. He doesn't see a broken person when he looks at us. He sees one of his children who has gone through something terrible and someone who he sent his son Jesus to die for, to redeem. So I believe that's where we are. The cleansing and redeeming blood of Jesus covers all of us, no matter where we are. So I don't believe the Lord is telling us here, hey, let's look at the legalities of the who and the what and the why and the how and the when and the paperwork and all this. I think he's saying, thank you, Jesus, for doing what you did to redeem me and to redeem everything that the enemy can throw at me. I want to take a second. We have a couple minutes. And I want to share a little bit of my testimony, of the divorce that I went through. And I want to throw it out to you for a couple. I know there are some people out here who maybe, maybe you have gone through it. Maybe you've seen it from different sides. And you might have a story of redemption over divorce. So I want you to think about that. I've got a mic down here. I'm going to hand it out here in just a second. But real quickly, I want to let you know, I spent... 13 years in a marriage to a person who was not a believer. Now, I wasn't a believer either, at least not a strong believer at the time, marginal. Um, but she was, she was a complete atheist, okay, which didn't really bother me at the time because I thought, okay, everybody go their own way, do their own thing. I had three wonderful kids through that marriage, but that marriage fell apart. That marriage fell apart because of adultery on her part. To be honest with you, I would still be struggling through that because I don't believe in letting go and breaking covenant for any reason. But the decision was made for me. Fast forward several years later, I meet the most wonderful woman has, I believe has ever walked the earth. God brought her to me. God brought her to me to redeem me and to redeem what the enemy has stolen. And I'm in a place right now where I couldn't have dreamed of being before I met her. Because it was through her that the Lord reintroduced himself to me and grabbed a hold of my heart and showed me that you're not broken and you're not useless and you're not relegated to the scrap heap, but what I have always had for you that you didn't even know about, I have greater things than that for you. And so I stand in front of you right now as a person who was married for 13 years, divorced for three, and now I've been with Gabe for 14 years now. And our marriage gets stronger every day. And I believe through that redemption, we're able to share the gospel with people. 
We're able to reach people in ways that we never could had we not gone through that background because she has a very similar story to mine. But I am proof that God can and will redeem that which the enemy has stolen. So I want to take a second. Is there anyone who would like to share? I know it can be deeply, deeply personal, but is there anyone who wants to share a story of redemption through divorce? I can. Okay. Okay, so um, I felt like I was one of those broken, broken people. Um, My first husband, I was married at 19. My first husband left when I was seven months pregnant with that boy, that sweet boy, Caleb, my second. And um, I felt like I was just damaged goods at that point. And um, I fell on my face. I met a guy I thought was amazing at church. And um, he turned out to be an alcoholic abuser. And um, we were married for one year before God delivered me and my children from that marriage. And then I met a real creep in church, got tried again, you know, and um, he ended up being a closet um, heroin addict and gay. (laughs) So God once again delivered me from that marriage. And I I just poured out my heart at that point to God. And I said, you know what, God, I can't do this. I, if it's not from you, I don't want anything to do with it. And I was reading the book of Ruth and he, um, he showed me this, this gentleman named Boaz. And I started praying for a Boaz. I said, Lord, if you have somebody like this, would you show me that person? Because I fire myself. I'm bad at this. (laughs) I need your help. I need your guidance. And will you just be my husband? I also was reading the book of Hosea, and he was really ministering to me through that book. He he gave me a name at that time, Jerusha, which meant um, betrothed. And um, so anyhow, he showed me this guy in a bar, um, (laughs) my neck. And um, he became my Boaz. He really did. And God redeemed the whole thing. And I firmly believe that since day one, there's been a calling on my life. And um, thanks to this man who came in and took my three boys and I under his wing, um, we now have the ability, I now have the ability to stand here and minister before all of you and minister to my God. So he absolutely is in the business of redeeming all of it. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Weston? Okay, so I didn't know this was going to happen tonight. Um, I'll, I'll try to, I'll make this really try to do the cliff notes because uh, my testimony on this is actually quite long. Um, I've been married three times. My first wife um, had an affair, and we had a little boy. And when he was a year old, I was told that he wasn't my son. And the DNA testing proved it, and so I lost my son, and there he went. And I never, she divorced me because this guy was putting pressure on her. 
And then I got married about five years later, and uh, my wife had an affair and <laughs> left me for another man. So then getting a history of this. And this, uh, the most recent time I was married, I was married 10 years to a woman who was a believer, and as were the other two, by the way. None of them were atheists. They were all believers. Um, this third time I was married, I was married 10 years to a woman who was a strong Christian, had very strong prophetic giftings. We were active in the church. And she ended up, she was having an affair with a guy that was in my small group. And I was unaware of what was going on. And then um, a friend of mine, a young uh, woman friend of mine that I knew, I hardly knew this woman. I just knew her from church. She went to one of the pastors and said, I... I've got this information I need to about, you know, Wesson's marriage. I need you know, to do with it. So this pastor had me out to coffee and he told they told me there that she'd been having an affair with this guy. And they she had divorced me by that time. Because I wouldn't I wouldn't do the divorce because I didn't want to do a divorce. Um, but that was forced upon me, and so that went through a third divorce. And by this time the enemy had just he was wrecking me, literally wrecking me. I was in a dark night of the soul. I thought it was, the enemy kept telling me, you're one of those, you're one of those, one of those that can't be redeemed. You're the bad penny. And I had thoughts of suicide. Um, I was just alone and in the dark, feeling a sh- so ashamed, so ashamed. I would go to church and sit in the back, wait for the sermon to be over, and I'd go home. i do this every weekend. I didn't want to see anybody because she had written a letter to all the elders telling them all the reasons why I was a bad penny and why God told her to divorce me. And the enemy was just gaslighting me, really. And so I figured everybody in the whole church knew and I was just, I couldn't face anybody. But God was somehow, I don't know how God was doing it because he was holding on to me because I wasn't holding on to him. And one day one day after the divorce is over this has been 12 years ago this last March I remember I remember it I was sitting at the kitchen table of a friend's house that I was living in and the Holy Spirit came upon me in a supernatural way and he just I felt waves of love pouring into my heart just waves and waves and I wasn't saying anything I was just sitting there weeping and the Holy Spirit was just telling me God was just saying into my heart I love you over and over again for like a half an hour. I love you, I love you, I love you. And that was the moment. I, I've been a believer for a long time. But that was the moment I really, <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, filled with the Spirit. I don't know. I just knew that I knew. He, he cleaned me. He redeemed all that stuff I was thinking about, all that stuff I was going through. And I remember at the very end of that, I just sat there and I had joy. I had joy and I, had, I was free. I had no condemnation. I mean, it was all, it was just like gone. It was a miracle. And I was so happy. And I said, God, what do you, man. And I know all of us have had this experience where you say, God, I'll do anything you want, you know, when we're in an emotional moment. And I said that, but it wasn't from that place. It was from a real committed, where you want, what do you want? (laughs) And the Lord told me, I want you to go to church this weekend (laughs) and sit in the front. Don't sit in the back. I want you to go to church and just sit in the front. So I did. Walked up to the church. I saw that steeple. And I was, my head was held high. I had no shame. I walked in. I started saying hi to everybody that I knew. 
I sat right next to the pastor and I said, can I sit here? And he goes, sure, Weston, good to see you. And I said, I said, do you mind if I sit next to you? And he goes, no, I kind of spit sometimes. Although, do you mind? I might spit on you. And so it was a great, and from that day forward, I've had victory. I've had times, but I've never, I've never, when the enemy wants to shame me about that. And I, I get the experience. I feel it. I know he's doing it when he's doing it. But, you know, the Lord has given me the strength to be able to, just like Bob's message, which was a prophetic message. Of it's never over because you have a calling. And it wasn't long after that, the pastors asked me to lead the prayer ministry team at that church. And I, would, I said, well, what about these two other women who were really prophetically gifted? They wanted me to head the prophetic team. And I said, well, what about these other two women? And they said, no, they want you to do it. That's redemption. And so ever since then, I've just been walking in this faith, you know, filled with joy. And that doesn't mean I haven't had hard, hard times, but I have. But I just want to say to anyone here who's struggling with this or has been through a divorce, and it doesn't have to be divorced, just something, the storm. God does have a plan for your life. So hold on to that. Thank you. I know there are several more, but in the interest of getting you out of here tonight, I just want to point out the fact that Emily has led countless people to the throne room of God. She has brought so much joy through worship. Weston has done spiritual battle on behalf of people and led people to Christ and helped people break strongholds and lies that the enemy has thrown at them. Countless people. I get the blessing of of being able to be up here and to lead this church into what we feel is the calling that God has for, for all of us. And so don't let the enemy tell you you can't be redeemed. Don't let the enemy tell you there's anything that God can't redeem we're proof of it and there's so many more but I realize there are people here who might be in that place where your heart has been hardened for so long or you've been taught something for so long or maybe you're even convicted in your heart that this is not the truth that's okay that's okay because all I want for you is to be honest and seek the Lord's heart on this Listen to these stories of redemption. Look at the things that God can do. None of this is endorsing divorce. None of this is saying, hey, fine, just go have one. It's a grievous, terrible thing that happens. But nothing is beyond the redemption of Jesus, and that's the point of it all. Amen? So what we're going to do, we're gonna, I'm going to dismiss a little bit differently. We're going to do communion still, okay? I've got... Um, guys. Okay, Toby and Carrie are going to they're going to serve communion down here. We've got the crosses where you can serve yourself. I'm going to pray over you and then I'm going to release you to take communion and then as you are ready, as you feel you're ready, you can listen to worship but you can also go out and have a hamburger or a hot dog because I know the youth are out there working on them. I can smell them from here. So I'm going to pray and I'm going to release you into communion and you can respond how you want. Again, when you're ready, please go buy a hamburger and support our youth. So Heavenly Father, we just thank you, God, that you, number one, that you love us so much and your covenant with us, your plans and purposes for us are, are beyond being revoked. God, you give them to us. You make us for a plan and a purpose and the enemy cannot steal that away. And we thank you, God, that you have that much love for us. 
and that you gave your son Jesus for us so that we could not only identify but stand against and stand firm and take authority over the schemes and the lies of the enemy who would want to make us think that we were less than who you say we are. Father, we want to walk in the steps of who you made us to be and who you say we are is more important than anybody else. Not the devil, not the people around us, no one. And so, Lord, right now as we sit, I just want you to reaffirm to everybody, Lord, just tell us in our heart, how do you feel about us, where we are, knowing our dirt, knowing our lives more than anyone else, how do you feel about us, Lord? Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the cleansing work of Jesus Christ and by his redemption and by the calling you've placed on all of us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So feel free to walk around and engage in communion and be dismissed when you're ready.
past love. 